Welcome to the Buried Treasures Podcast, brought to you by Majid Uthman, where I interview a new guest every week to discover their journey. I'm Hamza Warsi. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, wa salatu wa salamu ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursaleen, Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Jazakumullah khairan everyone for joining us. Uh, mashallah, we have an extremely special guest and we're very honored to have uh, the man with the the sharpest 90 degree lineup, uh, Mufti Abramirza. How are you doing? Musab, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where were you born and raised and uh, what were you doing in your early days? Alhamdulillah, <laughs> Um, I was born actually in, in Hyderabad, India. Um, our family used to live in Saudi Arabia. But my, my mom went to Hyderabad essentially for the delivery more or less, came back soon thereafter, back to Saudi. I used to live in Saudi until sixth grade is when I moved here to Chicago, uh, initially to Glendale Heights. Um, and I was there until 2003, from 94 to 2003 and then moved to Aurora. Mashallah, mashallah. Um, so when did you want to go study or what sparked you initially that you wanted to pursue uh, Dini studies? I mean, alhamdulillah, I feel like I always had some amount of interest. I remember like, you know, being very young and, you know, having the, the, the Molisab used to come teach us like Quran reading and memorization of like short surahs. I remember that. After those classes, I would just sit and memorize extra on my own. Like, I always had that interest. Um, and then it was, you know, kind of the more, like, proper formal education or, you know, at least at the part-time level, started more in college, mm-hmm. my early part of college. And then it was after my second year of college that I went into full-time studies. Okay. So where do you initially begin? So initially... Um, I took some part-time weekend sort of classes at Al Qasim, mm-hmm. um, and then thereafter, IIE what used to Institute of Islamic Education Elgin used to offer these summer Arabic programs. Mm-hmm. So I enrolled in the summer Arabic program, and then that led to the to the Alam course. Okay, um, it's interesting. I actually my my plan was to go to the Alim program, which is you know the American Learning Institute for Muslims in Michigan. Mm-hmm. That's where I was planning on going in the summer. Uh, this was in 2003 or so, I think. Um, but I was I planned on going there for additional Arabic education and such. I had done some, some already. Um, but then I applied to them and didn't hear back. Um, and applied like, or, you know, reached out to them a second time, didn't hear back. And this was around actually you know, like the, the Iraq war and such at that time. Mm-hmm. So my brother was organizing buses to go to D.C. for for some protests and rallies. So I went with him. And then one of my friends in, in college at that time, Hafshaf Qadri, he used to be our MSA president. So I called him last minute said, hey, like I'm going to D.C. My brother's organizing buses, organizing buses. Do you want to come? So he's like, yeah, I'll come. Then he we went together. And... I think it was on the way back that I was telling him that, you know, I 
where to go study in the summer and I applied and I didn't hear back from them and you know like I sort of just gonna give up on, on going there and then he told me that oh you know like the madrasa where I studied they offer a summer Arabic program why don't you look into that so I did and you know they, they had a program and on the like I went and I joined that and you know eventually it, it led to even more of an increase in in, in interest and desire to study further and then that sort of continued on into into the the alim course so it's interesting I, I plan on going to the alim program <laughs> and just the way the things end up then I ended up into the the alim course nice, um, it's interesting because my my brother-in-law my, my older sister's husband you know is it's like very much involved in the, the alim program I remember telling him this and he was like yeah yeah I remember like like we that he was talking about like you know they had gotten together like after that summer and like he was telling me it's like we're all trying to figure out like how did this application and how did this email just follow up everything just went unnoticed and we were doing like an internal check of like how did this like how did this fall through uh and you know they're saying like we, we just didn't have any explanation for how this happened but you know, this was the the will of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alhamdulillah so you were you were pursuing your degree in is right information systems at benedictine yes correct is that what you completed your degree in as well it is okay yes. that's something like i mean like how'd you get involved in that was that something you always wanted to do or is just no <laughs> it was more of like you know finish high school and then um like time for college and just didn't really have a strong um desire to do one thing or another it was more of like i didn't want to do medicine mm -hmm. <laughs> um but besides that it didn't really have much of a strong with like what i should do i mean my my older brother did it uh and my older sister was doing something of that nature as well mm -hmm. um but I, I wasn't really interested in pure it although like everyone thinks i'm in it it's just by <laughs> default that's like a default assumption yeah um but i was never really that interested in just pure like it and coding and, and such um so information systems had a had a more business side to it mm -hmm. um so i knew that there'd be like if i if i did that like it seemed more you know like it, it seemed more interesting to me to have a technical side and a business side both and that way when you get into a career you know you, you've got kind of two different angles that you can try to pursue and go down um so that's that's kind of where it came about but it wasn't like growing up i always wanted to do <laughs> is right? yeah definitely mashallah. um so you get introduced to this uh arabic program at iae um what like kind of what did you guys cover during that summer um, it, it was, you know, kind of the standard, like, saraf nahu mm -hmm. and such. And um, there was some Quran memorization that was part of the course as well. Um, so, I mean, alhamdulillah, it was, it was a good, it was a good, it was a good course, mashallah. Um, but what that, what that did was, you know, some of us who went into the course um, were just kind of brand new, like, some of us, some of the other students, like myself and such, like we had some background. Mm -hmm. So it allowed for different people to kind of proceed at different paces. And thereafter, what was good was that, you know, when we then continued into the Alim course, um, in my, we were the first batch of Alim course students. And everyone except for one student more or less came with some background mm -hmm. anyway. So we don't have to kind of start from year one basics beginning. Uh, our course was sort of modified um, 
to kind of adjust for for us essentially. Okay, sure. um, I'm like there there's a lot of benefit in us being sort of that first and also the only on course batch because mm-hmm. um, it, it was customized for us alhamdulillah nice like how big or small was your class size um some students came in some students kind of dropped off in the middle but our graduating class was five students okay mashallah. so you guys had a lot of personal time with your teachers yeah, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, yeah. we had a good you know like the teachers were always was always around um and we had a lot of classes you know i think Nowadays, like the standard is usually like six classes or so. So we we had classes, like you know, like it seemed like throughout the day essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a lot of so we had a lot of class time, and the teachers were very accessible, mm-hmm. um, like very down to earth, like very accessible. Um, so, like whenever sort of we we needed anything or just or so, like we had a very very close, um, very betukaluf. Our relationship. Nice, mashallah. Um, so, at the same time, you're not you haven't stopped any of your studies at Benedictine. You're still continuing your undergraduate degree. Yeah. So the the essentially what happened was so the first semester. So this is now my first semester in the third year of college, mm-hmm. when I when I'm now also full time doing alum course. I went part time, um, at college, mm-hmm. um, and then what happened there after that semester was. But, you know all the all the financial aid and like and everything that it only extends up to a certain point. If I just continued part time, it, it wouldn't last that long. Got it. Um, so then thereafter, what I did was I went I went back full time mm-hmm. in the following semester again, um, and then at that point I was taking like you know eighteen credit hours, like six classes, um, and then ended up finishing maybe like one one semester. Later than what I would have finished had I been full time all along. Okay, mashallah. So, so I know Aurora is like a bit always, you know, it's a bit far away, and yeah. you're probably used to driving around. How are you able to manage your time between? Because from Lyle to Elgin, that's got to be that's a mission. My 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 daily commute, I think at one point was like ninety miles. Wow. Um. So I would, I would have early morning classes at college. Mm-hmm. So I would go Aurora to Lyle for college. Um, I would have breakfast as a sandwich in the car. Mm-hmm. And then I would go, after classes, I would go Lyle to Elgin. Um, and I would have lunch as a sandwich in the car. <laughs> and then I had night classes back at college. Oh, wow. So then I would drive back from Elgin to Lyle and I have dinner as a sandwich in the car. <laughs> and then back from Lyle to Aurora. MashaAllah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that sounds uh, extremely time-consuming. How are you able to kind of balance between focusing in both aspects, focusing on your alum course and your undergraduate studies at Benedictine? Yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 the, the, the driving itself takes takes time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like you know, you have the college classes and its coursework, and then obviously the alum course and all of its homework, and especially like. And then, you know, initially when you have like all the Arabic and the, there's a lot of homework in the alum course that comes along. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it wasn't easy. It was, it was a lot of work, um, you know, but alhamdulillah, like, you know, Allah Ta'ala put barak in the time, like, you know, parents, mm-hmm. du'as, families, du'as, teachers, du'as. Um, but, you know, like you do have to, to make kind of sacrifices in your schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of giving up on, 
um, a lot of like the, you know, essentially free time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and anything that's associated with it, like just kind of just focus on studying, uh, cutting down on sleep a lot. Um, I mean, I would sleep four hours a day. Um, and I think years went by that I slept sitting down studying and like the lights never were off in my room and I never laid down on the bed. Um, I just sit and study until I fall asleep and then middle of the night I'd wake up and then I'd start studying again until I fell asleep again and then that that would like repeat like three, four times during the, the night and then eventually like it's morning time and then back to the same. Did, did you at least like drink coffee, Monster, Red Bull, something? No, no, I, I, did, I was never into the, the coffee. <laughs> Red Bull no caffeine and you're, no. Still, you're still charging away. No, I mean, the only caffeine that I would like ever have would be a, like soda. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that's eventually, you know, like, like it doesn't, it doesn't help anymore. Yeah. Um, but now I was never like, I don't, I don't even know if they had Monster and Red Bull back then. But, like, oh, mashallah. It's uh, a long time ago. We're talking a long time ago. <laughs> um, but no, I was never into the, to, to pumping up caffeine in the body. really. So that, I mean, like, how were you able to manage based off four hours? Was that sufficient for you? Um, it, was, it was sufficient uh, I mean, like, your body gets used to it, right? Like, mm-hmm. so, like, you, you make it be sufficient for yourself. Um, there, there's a lot a person will do when you recognize you don't have a lot of options, mm-hmm. right? I think, I think as long as people feel in their mind that this this is good, but it's not necessary, then sometimes it gets, you know, the commitment sometimes is, is it's lacking. But when a person is put in a situation where, like, you have no other option, mm-hmm. Um, then, then you, you, you do it because like, you really have no other option. I mean, like days when like, you know, my, like I'd be very tired and like, I couldn't study. Like I'm, I remember like I wouldn't sit then like, I'd go to the kitchen counter, uh, like the kitchen Island and I'd put the book on top of the Island and then I just stand and study. Cause then every time like i like start to fall asleep, doze off, like my knees would hit the Island and then you like, you, you, yeah. know, you just wake up with a shock. Right. And then you're good for, like you're good for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, yes, you know, there's like your body has rights and everything as well. I mean, that's it's completely not not to deny that, uh, mm-hmm. but it was it was circumstances that you know like didn't leave a lot of other options. Mashallah. Was so, there ever was there ever any like pushback from? I mean, generally, what ends up happening is that family members may say that, oh, you know, what are, why are you studying and what are you going to do with it and so on and so forth. Was there ever any like negotiation or pushback from family members that you had to deal with? Uh, I mean, you know, there there was some convincing uh, convincing at the beginning to to do the studies, mm-hmm. but I think the fact that I was doing my college studies as well that I didn't pause or stop that. Mm-hmm. I think that that kind of subsided any any concerns, and then the aspect of you know, like I was doing, you know, what what people consider as quote unquote deen and dunya, yeah. right? Uh, what people consider as like you know, doing your your secular quote-unquote education and religious education the fact that i was doing both um i think subsided any concerns that anyone may have had but otherwise i mean generally alhamdulillah like family was supportive of my studies so (laughs) i can't even imagine this i mean sleeping on four hours that's something that's very amazing how was the the student life at IIE when you were going there? Where, I mean, was there ever a time that you wanted to stay in the Madrasa campus because they did have dormitories or was it always commuting back and forth? No, I mean, I was, I was somebody who, um, you know, was, was always and still am somebody who just 
who likes being home. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, my, my parents told me like, just, you can stay there. And I was like, no, I, I don't, I don't want to stay there. I mean, I had, um, you know, like even for college, I had like NIU and some other places, like a tuition, like a free tuition ride, uh, four years. I, I didn't take it cause I was like, I don't want to stay there. Mm. Uh, I wanted somewhere where I could commute. Uh, and same thing with IE that I would, and there was, I mean, there was a time eventually where, I mean, I remember like our class started at five in the morning. So I'd leave home at like 4.15 a.m. Oh, wow. Um, and then I would like leave from the madrasa at 11 p.m. at night. Um, but like I still wanted to go, go back home. I, I, I didn't want to stay. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't anything to do with the dorms at IE. It wasn't that. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just that I just, even if I was going to come home that late and for that minimum amount of time, like I still wanted to come back home. Mashallah. Um, but I mean, like, I remember like, you know, when you're asking, you're asking about like kind of how was that the life? I mean, I remember that, you know, I would get like, I'd be so tired by that time. And this was like in the, toward the latter part of the, the LM course. So this is like, you know, toward the, you know, the, the, the second last in the last year. Um, so, and by that time, like my college had finished as well. Um, like it was, it was such a full day of studies. And by the time, like, you know, at that 11, 11 o'clock or so, just be so tired that I remember like I would sit in the car and then I'd have no recollection of anything except that the next thing, like I was pulling into the garage. Oh, wow. Like what happened between that time? I have like no idea. And this was, this was like a regular occurrence. And like, I'll just kind of disclaimer it saying like, I'm not encouraging or like, mm -hmm. you know, like it's, it's not good. Right. It's not something I would do again. But I remember like that was just kind of situation. Like I'd, I'd want to go home and I'd get in the car at 11 o'clock or 11 15 or so. And then like next thing, like you're just home. And I have, like no recollection of anything that happened in between or this one time, um, I just kind of snapped and I'm, and I see like, like cops and lights, you know, behind me. And then I pull over and the first thing the cop comes and he says, like, I've been following you for like so long and you just keep weaving in and out of traffic. <laughs> I was like, I have no recollection of that. <laughs> um, this one time I remember like, I just kind of snapped back. I don't know if it's like woke up or like came back to like conscious or like subconscious or what, but I remember this one time, like I was just, all of a sudden I just realized like, I have no idea where I am. Mm -hmm. It's like literally nothing around, like just feels like no lights, no cars, no gas station, like nothing. And this was like, you know, no smartphones at that time and such. You couldn't just like put, pull up Google Maps or anything, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I, I literally have no idea where I am. Um, and I say, okay, so what do you do? You just say, all right, just make a U-turn, just start driving back the other way. Yeah. And then eventually until you figure out where you are. And then I realized that essentially what happened was I went past like my subdivision. I just kept driving um, to an area that was like undeveloped. And then mm -hmm. eventually I just kind of realized like, where am I? And I <laughs> drove back and then I was like, oh, okay. okay. I, now I'm starting to like see lights and start to understand. But it was, like, I mean, a lot of it, you know, people, people ask a lot about how were you able to do, you know, this and that together. And how were you able to manage this and how you manage that. The, the, the honest answer is like, I don't have a very good logical explanation or suggestion 
right? Like there's some generalities I can mention about like managing your time better and things of that nature. But like a lot of it really is from like the fadl of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And, and that, that's, that's what you have to aim for and that's what you have to make dua for. And if you have that, then things will work out, right? Mm-hmm. Like all your other planning and, and everything, like it's good, you should do that. But at the end of the day, like you, you need that fadl from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like you need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's help. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have that, then things will just work out like in ways that you, you, you don't necessarily understand, right? Allah talks about, you know, person like who who has the consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, you know, who's God fearing that mm-hmm. like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates avenues for that person from ways that they, they didn't imagine. So, you know, as long as you know you have like the dua of your parents and you have like the dua of your teachers and and such, like you'll get the fadl of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will 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 create solutions that you could have sat down and thought about and would have never figured out. Definitely. I mean, right when you said cornfields, I'm like, oh, you're probably in Aurora. <laughs> Mashallah. Um, so, I mean, you're going back and forth. You're doing your studies. Um, I mean, you, you you explained that you're just giving up all your free time and you're just engrossed in the field of studies. Um, was there ever a time where you maybe thought to yourself that, uh, you know, I don't want to do this? Or was it always, no, I'm going to make sure that this is exactly what I want to do? No, I mean, alhamdulillah, like, I, I never had sure. any any regrets. I mean, completely, absolutely enjoyed uh, what I was doing. Um, and, you know, like, alhamdulillah, like, Allah SWT made it such that, you know, alhamdulillah, I was doing well in it as well. Sure. Um, so, no, like, I, I never had any second thoughts or regrets or or such. As, alhamdulillah, like, always, like, I was always motivated to, do, to sure. continue. So, you, I mean, like, so you end up finishing your undergraduate studies, then you're able to enroll full-time. I mean, you were already I was full-time. already, I was always full-time. Sorry. Um, you're able to have some free time, comparatively, but the course load kind of increases as well, you were saying. Yeah, I mean, like, the, you know, it's it's kind of like the, the la rahata ba'd al-yawm, like, there, you know, there's no there's no rest after today. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, once once you're in that field, then you're just engrossed in that field, right? So even though, you know, the, the college ended, it wasn't like you had free time. It's just that something else just took, took that time now, right? Mashallah. So it's always kind of rededication of, 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 of time from one thing to another as opposed to like free time, mm. right? Um, like I, I take off time, like I take vacation from, from work to do or to, to catch up on like other work, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's always like you, you free up the time here so that you can dedicate it elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's never like you freed up time, so now you've got spare time. Right? Yeah, it's definitely. So, well, when you were a student, you also had like this uh, leather sock business, right? Yeah, <laughs> it was um, like I wanted to. It was. It wasn't like to 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 you know like it, it wasn't a financial thing. It was mm-hmm. more of I just wanted to understand how just kind of how doing business works, and there's like virtues of that. Um, so I wanted to just kind of dabble in that and just figure out like, you know, how does, you know, supply management and like uh, distribution and like wholesale agreements and like retail selling and and e-commerce, like how all of these things work and fit together and such. So it was more of an exercise to to try to figure everything out and understand everything. So then in the future, like if you end up doing something on a, on a you know, larger scale that in- yeah. involves like more investment and such, then... Uh, then you have an understanding of how things work. Plus, then you know have an understanding from the Islamic side of 
you know, how how things work. So when people ask questions and such, you, you know, you, you have background, right? Mm-hmm. Like practical knowledge. So it was from that perspective, um, you know, I, I give credit to Mufti Abdul Rahman Mangira. Like he gave me some advices when I was starting off. Um, but it was, it was like this, um, you know, at, the, at that time there was no duck shell wudu gear, like, yeah. you know, uh, seal, seal skins or anything. It was just, you had like the, the pure thick leather socks that you had to get a, you know, a shoe size higher to, to fit into. <laughs> um, so one of my, one of my friends, um, in Canada, he, he was, he, He's had like a factory in China. He had like multiple businesses, but one of the things that he was producing was these zipperless socks that were like you know leather at the bottom and like polyurethane at the top. So it just looked very nice and slick, and it was they were thin, and they met all the conditions for wiping and such. So then I I had like this wholesale agreement with him, and then I would then sell and distribute to you know Al Rashad that Mufti Abdul Rahman used to run at that time, um, and you know Al Balagh. Uh, I remember. At that time, I didn't know, like, you know, like, who, like, you know, Khalid Shokat was and, mm-hmm. and such. But I remember at that time, like, de- like I was dealing with them on a business level at that time. Like, now I kind of recognize, you know, from other aspects as well. But um, Al-Balag and, like, different places, like at Devon and such. So just kind of got, got, you know, just kind of got that whole understanding of how things run and how people some business will try to take advantage of you and like, you know, like all of, all those kind of burns as well. Like you just kind of pick, pick that up customer yeah. service and, and such, yeah. and, you know, stalls at like the, it's not bazaar and, and such, mm-hmm. like just kind of the full kind of the whole thing at a low level, but like explored kind of everything just to get an understanding of everything. Nice. mashallah. Yeah. yeah I mean, oh, <laughs> business owners not paying on time is, is definitely something that's troubling yeah, yeah, to it's, the it's like, you know, they'll, you know, saying like on the phone, they say, yeah, you know, we'll, you know, come, like you can have your merchandise here. I'll like, we'll, we'll buy X many from you and such. Then when you show up and they see who you are and they see, okay, like maybe you look younger and like, yeah. you know, maybe not, you're not really that big of a business or whatnot. Then start take advantage of you and say like, no, we're not going to buy it. You can just leave it here though. And we'll just pay you how many ever end up selling. We end up selling, mm. right? Like those sorts of like kind of going back on your word and, I mean, in general, you just all of it has has its benefits, mm-hmm. right? For for the learning aspect, all of it has benefits. Nice, mashallah. So you had, you had a black sock and a white sock, correct? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, you have any inventory left over, or you got rid of everything? I, I may have kept like some as just a as a you know like memorabilia, like not. But yeah, I mean, like the inventory is sold. Like I I got out of the business eventually. Okay. Yeah. I mean, was there any like particular reason to get out of it? Um, I mean, it, it it served its purpose, right? Okay. Like I was I was always yeah. about you have to do something for its purpose, and then when the purpose is met, then then you gotta you have to know when to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it served its purpose, and it was it was time to move on. I think this was also the time that I think by that time I'd finished on course, um, and then I think I may have even at that point I may have even started thinking about going to South Africa and such. Mm-hmm. It was just it was just time to. Okay, you know. sure Plus, uh, you know. You know, I had full time employment at that time. Yeah. Um <laughs> I didn't I didn't need to sell socks. <laughs> <laughs> Mashallah. Um yeah, this is something that I always remembered I wanted to ask you about. Um can you share with us like a little bit about like your class and your classmates uh that studied and graduated with you from IE? Yeah, so um in my class, the the graduating class, we had 
مفتی آصف عمر سینٹ لوئس مفتی ساجد علی ہوز لوکل ایکچولی فرام لیکن دا ہلس اسپیکنگ آف بوفو فرام لیکن دا ہلس بٹ ہیز ناؤ ان ٹیکسس ڈاکٹر عادل فروقی سو ہی ہیڈ ایکچولی فنش آئی تھنک ہی ڈیڈ پارٹ آف ہز میتھ اسکول اینڈ واز ٹیکنگ بریک ٹو فنش اپ ہز آلم کورس Um, but then after that, he finished his practicing doctor in New Jersey, no? Mashallah. Um, and then we had um, myself and then Ma Aziz Abdul Khaliq, who, who moved back to Pakistan. Mm-hmm. His parents were there too, so they were getting older. So Allah, he's, he's serving them, he's doing great work, mashallah. mashallah. That itself is great work. Um, so he's, he's, he's in Pakistan now. Mashallah. So, I mean, you guys had a, a very small... We had, um, sorry, for... Part of, part of the course, um, you know, Ma, Dr. Basharat was with us Mashallah. as well because he was also taking time off from med school, mm-hmm. uh, taking a break to study, and then eventually then he went back to med school. Mm. Um, and then he went study part-time with Sheikh Hussain Mashallah. at that point. But in that time that he was off full-time, uh, he was studying with us as well. Mashallah. I mean, what, uh, you know, when you're spending so many years with uh, the same people, you're seeing them daily, day in and day out, Um, you know, what type of uh, brotherhood or bond did you form with them? Um, and is it something, and I'm assuming you guys all keep up to this day. Yeah, we, we, we do keep up to this day. And yeah, I mean, you know, when you're, when you're with somebody, essentially, you know, all day, every day, right? Because uh, we had classes on Saturdays and then we eventually had class on Sundays as well. Um, because, you know, Ma Naeem, Rahimahullah, who was our Sheikh Ladis of Bukhari, mm-hmm. he, um, like, when we started having classes with him, you know, we said, like, Sundays are off, and he's like, well, what are you talking about day <laughs> off? Like, it was, like, such a ajeeb concept, so we're like, okay, we'll have class on Sundays too then. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, alhamdulillah, like, when you have class with somebody, or, you know, you're with, with somebody all day, every day, years together, then you do have a very strong relationship, alhamdulillah. Inshallah. And, um, Even, you know, when it was time for me to go to South Africa, it was very difficult for me to kind of be away from home. Mm-hmm. But one of the, the reasons why I could even think about going was because Mufti Asif was there. So then I knew, like, I had, you know, I had, like, a brother Ashana. there. Um, so, I mean, it, it is, like, a very, very strong bond. Ashana. Were there ever um, any challenges that you faced um, when you were studying in terms of, I mean, like, obviously you have the difficulty of commuting, number one, but was there anything outside of that that kind of, you know, that ever came in your way that you, or an obstacle that you had to overcome? No, I mean, alhamdulillah, I can't, um, I can't think of anything that, that I would say was an obstacle in my studies or, or such. Sure. Um, I mean, you know, I think initially just, you know, committing to the full-time studies and getting, like, everyone on board to, to do the full-time studies, I think that was... kind of the only hurdle that I, I would say I ever faced. Mm-hmm. I mean, alhamdulillah, like once that was cleared, then you know, alhamdulillah, like I, I didn't have any issues. Can you give us a little bit of background about uh, Mona Naim, your Sahih Bukhari teacher? Yeah, I mean, so, Mona Naim, sahab, rahimahullah, it was, uh, it was a Shaykh al-Hadith and also Shaykh al-Tafsir as well. Um, his Anwar al-Quran and then also he's got a commentary on Jalalain. Uh, that's commonly used by students uh, in the Alam course. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, a, a hidden gem that was here in, 
in Chicago. So my name's uh, you know, he used to teach at Durham at the Durham in, in Dioband. And then he, he moved here and I think he had he had desire to, to continue teaching. I mean you know, like once once you start teaching, there's no point where you say like I've now retired and you know yeah, it's gonna sure. kick it back now, right? Like you <laughs> you always want to be in that field. So he had a desire to teach. Like we, you know, we obviously would want to study with him. And then when the offer came about, like you know, would we be willing to study with him? We're like of, of course. Like mm-hmm. so, it was, it was an absolute honor to study with him. Sure. Um, you know, he was, he was just an, an amazing person. And I'll just kind of mention one quality about him um, that really struck me was just his humility. He's a very humble person, uh, which is surprising. I mean, he was, you know, probably upper 80s, probably reaching 90 or so. Um, or maybe he was in his 90s, I don't know. But he, like, as weak as he had gotten, like, he would still stand up and, you know, pray his prayer. Like, it was, didn't pray, like, sitting down and stand up and pray. And at one point, he even had, like, a catheter running, like, from his body. But he was still, same thing. Mashallah. When he was teaching us, you know, he would have a magnifying glass and you had difficulty breathing at times, um, but like he was still, still teach and still teach every day. Sure. And I remember this one time, like he, you know, we used to go, we used to go to his house to, to study with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we went to his house, and it was in the it was in the winter, it was absolutely cold. And when we got to the house, we you know we went to the door and we saw him like he was just sitting on the floor by the entrance and then we you know, we got worried about like like what happened like did he fall down is he not feeling well and we immediately like asked him like you know it's it's in the winter like you know you're just you know in your light clothing that's not meant to be you know, by the door like the storm door like it gets pretty cold and we're like you know is everything okay he's like he's like yeah you know just my my health today breathing is just too bad that I, i'm not able to teach Mm-hmm. But I couldn't find anyone to to call you guys and tell you that I can't teach. Mm-hmm. So then students of knowledge are going to drive over and then I won't be able to teach them. I felt bad. So I thought the most I can do is at least sit by the door so that you don't have to come inside sure to find out. Like at least like whatever I could do from my end. It's like, you know, I, and then that way he's just sitting by the door waiting for, for us. Sure I, um, it was, it was, very, it was just a very amazing experience to see somebody that senior um, have that humility for you know like us and we weren't anything. Even you know even when my father came to visit him, um, my father isn't you know a scholar as such, but his um, his his father was you know as a scholar. So my grandfather, Mom, Muhammad Ali, rahimahullah, he was a scholar. So you know although my father's not a scholar, and he's nowhere near the age of you know. We used to call it, you know, Abuji, Amo Naim Um There, there was no reason for him to kind of get up to meet my father, but like he, he stood up to meet my father. And when my father kind of said, like, no, like you, you don't have to get up, especially because you know you imagine somebody that old and weak and's got a catheter running and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, he said no because it's like you know you were you're the son of such and such person. They know you're. Like your father, Muhammad Ali, was, was such a such person that how can I not stand and meet you? Right? So that that love and respect for ulama, who you know, by that time had passed away more than f- probably like f- some almost 50 years ago, 
and now you're meeting and standing and meeting that person's son mm-hmm. in that manner out of respect for the his you know f- father who was an alim right? um that sort of just humility is just very inspiring to, to see, right? that's amazing man mashallah yeah. um how was your final year of studying in the Aramia program uh dora hadith year because everyone talks about how beautiful and how special that year is yeah so i wanted to get some of your thoughts on it as well yeah i mean it's you know, it's, it's just an amazing year because you're just engrossed in just the hadith of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam right awesome. so you know qala nabiy sallallahu alaihi wasallam qala rasulullah just you know you have it's it's a lot to cover so you have classes you know more than you have in a, in a normal you know schedule so you have class in the morning in the afternoon in the evening and just you know, it's it's like your day starts off with you know the the, the Prophet and your day ends with like the Prophet right? And it's just it's just a just an amazing year because you feel like you know the the my entire day was spent talking about the Prophet and then you know I'm, that I'm going to sleep and I'm going to last thing I was doing essentially last kind of main thing I was doing was talking about the Prophet or that's studying that's about that's the Prophet I'm going to wake up. Again, it's going to be with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And in the United States, you feel like it, it, that's a state that you, you feel like, you know, if, if I weren't to wake up, that this is, you know, this is like, you know, what, what better time to kind of, for a person to go than, you know, you spent your entire day engrossed in the hadith and the sayings and the, the actions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And that you're going to sleep looking forward to waking up to go back to that. Right? So it's just, it's just an, ama- an amazing year. Um, you know, it's one of those things that even though like while you're in it, you're thinking that I know this isn't going to like this is a one time opportunity. This doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. And I need to maximize my benefit, my time and value from from what I have here. But still, like when it passes, then you you still feel like maybe I could have done more or, mm. or, you know, there's always this there's just desire that maybe you can have that again. But, you know, um, it's, it's just it's kind of the highlight of all the, the efforts that you put in and all the struggles you have throughout your course. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just an, it's just an, it's a very beautiful sort of ending, ending to the course. MashaAllah. How was your uh, graduation? What, what were the feelings that you were going through? Yeah, I mean, so in, in my feeling, I remember, I'm, in my graduation, I remember um, a lot of ulama came because we were the first graduates mm-hmm. of Alam course on the Madrasa. Um, so I remember like Mufti Abdurrahman, um, my uh, Imam Imam Ilyas, uh, Imam Tahir Anwar was there, and there's like a lot of ulama, you know, Sharia sure. board ulama and Divan from Divan from here, from like, you know, my Ibrahim Yaman from Buffalo at that time. Like, there's a lot of ulama from from the U.S. who who came, and it was like it was just, you know, you you feel so much awe from like all these ulama mm-hmm. sitting around you. And you know now you're you're about to graduate and you know quote unquote qualify as like an alim, um, and it's just it's just the feeling is just it's it's like you can't really describe it well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember at this one point, I think Mufti Rahman Mangira, like after I recited like the last hadith, mm-hmm. he gave me like a bottle of water and said, you know, to to blow in it, um, and then you know he was he was going to keep it, um, and I was just I remember just thinking that. Like, why, why, why would you, for me, but you know, it's, it's not about you, then you realize it's not about you. It's about, you know, you recite like the Kalam of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, right? So, so, so 
then you recognize that it's not us, but it's what we're associated with, mm-hmm. right? And as long as we stay true to that, what we're associated with, like as long as we stay, stay true to that, as long as we stay, stay true to that, so another Prophet in the in the book of Allah that we, that we learn that if we if we stick to that and we hold on to that, mm-hmm. then whatever like sharaf, you know, whatever the honor that Allah that is giving is with you, and then Allah forbid, like if we ever move away from that, mm-hmm. then you know you don't, you know. Like, then, then you have no cause or you have no reason to, to merit anything. Um, so it was just very awe-inspiring to see all these ulama gather and you feel a lot of pressure and you feel like, you know, look at so-and-so and look at what what they're doing and what they're accomplished and them and them and, you know, I'm supposed to be now part of this fraternity. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you think about yourself and you feel like, you know, how am I going to ever compare? Um, so it's... You know, there's a lot of happiness, there's a lot of excitement, uh, but there's also there's a lot of nervousness, concern, fear, um, like self disappoint, you know, disappointment in yourself about like, you know, how am I going to to kind of be within you know a group, if you will, a fraternity or with a title that like these other ones are associated with, and you know, who am I and who are, like you know, look at them. Um, so there's there's a lot of different emotions that just kind of go through you. Inshallah, inshallah. So after you graduated, I mean, when you're graduating or right after you're graduating, did you always want to do the IFTA program? I mean, at the time that I was graduating, at that time, like I, I needed to work, like I wanted to to uh-huh. work, um, but I had this desire to like go more into into like jurisprudence, into fiqh. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like my mind was always just like always engrossed in like one fiqhi, like masala, one fiqhi thought after another. Mm-hmm. And like you know, no matter what the topic would be, like I just think about some fiqhi angle with it. Yeah. Um. I remember, like you know, I, I, I spoke to Ma Bilal this one time. I remember because we we were at a at a nikah, and I remember like the the person you know who someone giving a, a talk went up, on one of the family members, and he just started off saying about you know you know we we're gathered at this nikah, and that like that that's all I remember hearing. And then what happened after that was like I heard the word nikah. Then I was thinking about like the the references on like you know and nikah al like you know like nikah happens with ijab and qabul and then like these are the sharait of nikah and like my mind just kind of went like into one fiqhi thought after another fiqhi thought after another fiqhi thought and, like eventually somehow I ended up at like the ruling of eating horse meat at one point <laughs> like it's all like it just started from like some person saying like you know, we're gathered at a nikah right yeah. that, that's all I remember. And then, like eventually, like the speech ended, and I was thinking, like, why am I, why am I thinking about horse meat? Like, <laughs> um, and I remember, like, I spoke to my beloved about it. I was like, you know, like, my mind just kind of keeps going, like, keeps doing this, like, so it just sound like abnormal, right? And and remember, he mentioned he mentioned that you know, no, it's just like you just have a lot of interest in it, something that you need to pursue. Um, so at that time, you know, the Asif Umar, who was one of my classmates, he he went to South Africa. Um, to you know, to um, Camperdown, where mm-hmm. Mufti Ibrahim the Saisab was teaching iftah, so he had already enrolled there. So then, that's when you know I, I thought about like I want to pursue more full time as well. Mm-hmm. So then that since he was there, then it was easier for me to go somewhere where you know I had somebody very close like that. Sure. So then, Alhamdulillah, then things worked out. Then I went there and studied. 
Mashallah. Yeah. And uh, how long were you studying there for? How long was the course? For... The the course was two years. Mashallah. So then in that in that one year that I was working, I was doing um, a lot of individual reading, and then I was doing some online classes with uh, Mufti Hussein Kadodia, who was one of the teachers there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so when I went there, essentially Mufti Saab more or less, um, like the the books were you know like he was teaching everyone the same books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't like a very clear distinction between like year one sits here and we're, year two is in that yeah. class. Like we're all together anyway. It's just that, you know, you do something and then next year the, you know, it's like the next year batch will kind of do something and the new ones will come and join them and such. So when I was there, like, you know, I joined with everyone else. So the first year and second year guys were all together and then we stopped taught like all the, all the books. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, we, we, we finished all the books and then, Mufti Saab told me that, you know, like, he's not worried about me. And then he, alhamdulillah, let me finish. So then um, I came back after one year. Mashallah. So I, then I came back with Mufti Asif. Mashallah. Yeah. So how was the student life in Camperdown? The, the the madrasa there, you know, it was actually, it's a very nice madrasa. Um, I would say, like, that the food was probably uh, better than some of the other madaris in, in South Africa. But, you know, like... Um, Muhammadni rahimahullah was like our principal. He was he was somebody who was a very like he was always very mindful and, and focused on like the students' well being and their comfort and such. So I mean, alhamdulillah, like you know, the, I, I can't complain about you know about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, just being in mother's itself, you know, has has its challenges. Uh, you know, not everything's obviously the same as home. And you know, I remember Muhammadni rahimahullah like telling me once so he was saying that you know we could create more comfort for students. But then what happens is, you know, saying that there's, you know, from different poor parts of Africa, students come and they study here. And what happens then, if we make this comfortable, mm-hmm. then it becomes hard for those students to go back to their communities where there's a lot of struggle and there's mm-hmm. a lot of mujahada. So then if you have that mujahada and if you have that struggle in your student days in the madrasa, then that way when you go back into the communities and you go back and serve wherever there's a need, then you're ready to to face those challenges. Um, and you don't feel like I had something that was comfortable and now I don't want to go serve in these, you know, these areas that are, you know, kind of more difficult areas to serve in and, and, mm-hmm. and such that a person's has gotten used to struggling in the, in their mother's days and is ready to struggle when they go out. Um, so I, there, there's some aspect of you know in, in the madrasa that some of the, the mujahada, some of the struggles are are intentional, right? And, mm-hmm. and and they're good and they're beneficial for the student. Have you traveled internationally prior to that, or was that your first international trip? No, I've I've done like our family used to do a lot of international okay. traveling. So I mean, were there any differences that you saw like in South Africa versus America, where it was like extremely challenging, or it was just it was kind of easy to adapt because you were a bit older? I remember like when I was going to South Africa, like my parents all were were worried because you know like. It's in the it's Africa, and you know there's like crime and like other type you know type of like stereotypes that mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately come with it. So I remember like I went online, and I was like, you know, I'm just going to Google all the all the facts about South Africa, and you know, it's like crime rates and things of that nature, and like just kind of show it to my parents to put them at ease. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I did that, I realized oh, that's not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> like South Africa was like number one, like you know, like at that time at least it was like in murder, like in like knife attacks and like there's like all these random categories of crime that I, I didn't even know like they counted statistics by and like 
Southern Africa was like top of that list. I was like, okay, <laughs> it's gonna ignore ignore that. But nonetheless, I mean, like you you travel, you know, it's a different environment. It's mm-hmm. like a different culture to some degree. But you know, you 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 adjust. You you adjust. I mean, you go through experiences, uh, and they serve as like good memories. Sure. Um, you know, like got robbed, right? Which never happened in any <laughs> of my prior international trips. Um, but still, you know, you like you just you keep moving on right i mean i think what happens often is you know the people who are in the in the thick in the middle of of some of these challenging situations it becomes a bit normalized to them mm-hmm. right like as opposed to doing those who are observing from a, from further and from a more comfortable place look at it and say like oh my god like you know how can you i mean i remember like you know some of the teachers when they would go on vacation they would ask us students if we can stay in their homes mm-hmm. um and you know they would they would provide food and snacks so then it was like you had good incentive to 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 stay at their home right instead of like spending your uh days off at the, at the madrasa um and they're like you know houses were like all kind of close by um but the reason was because there was just so much robberies that used to happen at the house right mm-hmm. so you don't want to leave it unattended yeah and the, the 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 house was i mean like you you know you're walking into the house imagine like a guardrail instead of like a storm door to get in that mm. you get into and then you lock behind you then in order to get into like the past the living room to the kitchen area there's another one that you open and unlock and kind of lock behind you and you get into the kitchen and and areas and then toward the bedrooms there's like another one like you just get an idea of like you know the kind of the the, the, the crime rate we're talking about mm-hmm. um and like in Camperdown you know a lot of the crimes just used to happen even in broad daylight because a lot of the people who are living there were working elsewhere um but still, you know, like when you come back and you think about like all these things and like, you know, I remember like when I would stay at this house, like I used to keep a bat with me for like safety. <laughs> and like, you know, at that time I was like, oh, I'm just going to grab this bat. And like, you know, I bought like this African Zulu spear that, they, you know, like the, the <laughs> like African crafts that they would make. I was like, yeah, let me get that bat. Let me get the spear and keep it for protection. <laughs> and like you come back, and you're like, hmm, you know, yeah. you think about like, oh man, like what situations I was in. But at that time you're like, you know, you're not you're not think you're not a- analyzing it by that level you're just mm-hmm. like your primary focus is on studies and these are kind of all secondary matters right no, but you know obviously you don't tell your parents all these stories until you come back because <laughs> yeah. i mean if you tell them there then you know that's when they're somebody's analyzing it from a distance uh from a more comfortable position and then you, they just panic so i mean when you're studying in south africa as well one thing we didn't touch upon yet which I did want to kind of dive into, is your memorization of the Qur'an. Mm-hmm. So you're a hafiz of Qur'an, right? Mashallah. So when did that journey begin for you? I mean, outside of like, you know, just memorizing like some short surahs from the back and such, uh, really it started when I enrolled um, into the summer program at IE because mm-hmm. memorizing the 30th just was part of the, the, the summer program, if you will. So then it was more dedicated memorization. And then when I continued onward into the Alim course, then I continued that memorization. Um, and then eventually I was thinking, okay, I'll, I'll keep memorizing as we do study like Quran Tarjima, Quran translation meanings and such. Whatever we're studying, I'll, I'll memorize that. But I mean, it's it's hard, right? Like, because you go at a much faster pace than you can really memorize and retain and review. Mm-hmm. Um, on the side while you have a full-time college and a full-time alum course, then to do, like, part-time hivs is just, like, you struggle with the time. But 
nonetheless, I mean, alhamdulillah, by the time I finished my alum course, I had memorized 15 Jews. Um, and then when I went to South Africa, I was just kind of reviewing and memorizing a little bit. And then eventually uh, in Ramadan, um, there's a lot. Of, I remember when I went to South Africa, that was my first time being away from home for any significant amount of amount of period. It was very difficult. Like it was very, I was very homesick from that, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember like used to, Ramadan, I think at that time was like in August time frame, I think it was. And I remember like the entire year, like I was counting down until... I could get to, I get to go home in Ramadan because we our, our course was from January to December. It was kind of the, the academic year, so it was more or less aligned with like the calendar year. So went in January, beginning of January, and then just counting down until like Ramadan. Ramadan, I had my flights booked and everything. It was maybe like a few days before it was time to go home. Um, Mufti Saab, Mufti Ibrahim Saab called me over and he said, "It's like mm, you know, I, I want you to stay in Ramadan." I remember that was so difficult, like crushing for me. I was like, oh. And then like I called home and like, you know, telling your parents who've also been waiting yeah. all year for you to come home and saying like, you know, Mufthisab wants me to stay, so I'll stay, you know. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the next time I'm going to go home is in December or end of December, beginning of January, like basically a year, full year later. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, like I was before that barely away for like a weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that Ramadan, like Mufthisab told me, to, to stay and he said stay it'll be it'll be very beneficial and he told me you know that for ask imam like i want you to take out all the questions i want you to answer them i don't want you to check them by anybody else so because normally what would happen is you'd, you'd at least concur with another student and then like our deputy mufti was was there or somebody else was there and he said i want you to just take out the questions i want you to answer them yourself i don't want you to have them checked by anyone because mufti Saab was going to to england mm-hmm. for ramadan so he's like you just answer them, don't have them checked by anybody, right? And know that I was only at that point there for half a year, right? Mm-hmm. And that was just a lot of pressure to do that because these answers are going to go and ask imam.org, right? And he said that this will be this will be beneficial for you um, and it will give you confidence for when you when you run your own Dar al-Ifta, right? I remember at that time I was thinking, run my own Dar al-Ifta? Like, when is that ever going to happen? Because, you know, my plan was I was going to finish inshallah and go back and start working again mm-hmm. so i was thinking like like when am i ever gonna like run a dar lifta? but i was like but nonetheless he, he asked me to stay so i said i'll stay but that ramadan was very beneficial i'm like with sab had like you know he he, he had foresight to, to to see some of the benefits uh, but one of the benefits amongst others was that because i was there and really no one else was that in Ramadan, then I just sat down and started memorizing like a, a quarter of Jews every day. Um, so then Alhamdulillah, like from the remaining 15, I finished, um, you know, about half of that in Ramadan. And then um, after that, like, you know, I just continued memorizing and finished the, the rest as well. So um, around at the end of October, um, it was on Halloween, actually, um, I remember... Uh, I, I finished Alhamdulillah. Mashallah. How's that feeling of finishing? It's just an incredible feeling to... Because, I mean, you know, at this time, you've something they've been working for many, many years mm-hmm. and always kind of on the side, right? It was never, it was never like a full-time dedicated thing. But, I mean, that, that feeling of just finishing. Like, I hadn't told my parents that um, I was memorizing and that I finished, so I wanted to keep it a secret um, until I came back. So just that happiness that, you know, like, 
your parents do so much for you that finally you feel like you know you have you may you have done something that can can be of benefit to them so just that feeling that um that you're able to to be of some use right um to your parents that you're able to to bring them some benefit uh that feeling is just it's just overwhelming it's just overwhelming like it's just you know it's 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 just hard to it's hard to describe um so i mean alhamdulillah then i finished i didn't um i didn't share with my parents and then when i came back and then i told them so alhamdulillah it was it was um alhamdulillah they're they're very happy to to hear that obviously it's <laughs> amazing mashallah yeah um were you reciting to anybody that was one of my challenges just because of the way the way my schedule was that initially um i would i would recite to mazis mm-hmm. asab um but that was like at the beginning while in course and then my schedule was different and like he had his you know his teaching schedule and like it was just, it was just wasn't feasible for me to recite to him so then there was a point when i was just kind of recite and record it and then i go back and listen to it to check for errors um and then eventually what happens i mean is you know once you once you have like a, a strong grasp with the arabic and you know when you're memorizing like you're memorizing with the meanings and such mm-hmm. um you can catch yourself where there's errors right like like grammatically something doesn't sound right mm-hmm. um or you know just from the meaning aspect but i mean it was it was a lot of self checking uh which you know is is one of the things that you know if if i were to advise somebody who's doing his part time and such i would i would say like have someone that that you recite to i mean what i did was not what i would consider ideal or something that i would encourage it was just circumstances mm-hmm. it was it was just purely based off of circumstances that's how i could memorize but i mean i would encourage anyone who wants to study part time um do have part time that you still have have a teacher that you recite to um and you know just for especially if some if you don't like understand the meanings and that you that you were saying that you can't catch grammatical you know errors or such yourself uh that you should recite to somebody um and also what that also does is it creates this confidence in you to recite in front of people mm-hmm. um which is you know like something that that I struggled with because you know I I wasn't used to reciting publicly as much mm. that you know if if I like when I recite um in a, in public then it is you know like I feel a lot more comfortable giving a talk mm. than I would feel leading salah mashallah what was the i mean like you spent a decent amount of time or like you spent uh time during the ifta and you got very close to your teacher Mufti Ibrahim Desai Sab and you've you mentioned him a few times can you give us a little bit of background about who he is cuz from a general mm-hmm. perspective it's always asimam.org you yeah. know his name signed off on everything yeah um you know can you give us a little bit more background about him yeah through really sisab i mean he's you know one of the the, kind of the awesome things about south africa is like when you have like these elder ulama they're like born and raised in the country right um it's not that you know they and i mean obviously you have some senior ulama like who who came from other countries but like many of them like they're like born and raised there like mufti from the sisab was you know born in stanger like he was born in south africa and grew up there uh studied he studied then in um in gujarat um and then he, he did ifta with mufti ahmed khan puri sahab um hafizahullah 
and then he went to Dioband and then did another year of ifta after finishing uh, with Mufti Mahmoud, uh, um, and then he came back and then he was um, he was the Mufti of the the Jamiat, um, and then eventually he started teaching ifta. But he it's a lot of years of um, just not just studying but also just you know practice mm-hmm. of ifta, like being involved in the field. Um, and in, in terms of like his personality, you know, just very, very soft, very friendly, somebody that, you know, um, is very easy to like mm-hmm. and also to feel that you are very much liked by them. You know, that, that quality, sure. you know, the, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that sure. everyone felt like they were, they were special and close to them. Uh, it's kind of how you feel with Ibrahim Sayyid You feel like you have a very close relationship with him. Sure. Um he he does you know like he he expresses his mahabba he expresses love for his students a lot, um, mm-hmm. which obviously then makes the students love him even more. Mm-hmm. Um, but just mashallah, you know he's, he's someone who who has accomplished a lot in the field of fatawa, and you know mashallah he's also in the field of tasawwuf and tazkia. Um, but alhamdulillah, he's someone that you know he's. Someone, if you want to take a, a a role model of someone who's very well rounded, a very balanced approach, very mortadil mizaj, you know, like a very moderate personality on, on neither extremes. Mm-hmm. Like he's like he's he's just a great kind of personality to to kind of model off of. Mashallah, mashallah. So when you came back from South Africa, I mean, like, how's the feeling leaving the madrasa? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 sad. I mean, regardless, you know, however long you spend. But the fact that, you know, like you, you've spent that, you know, day and night there and like what you studied there, you know, like what you got out of it, it's called the benefit that you sought from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you just build a very, you know, you just build a very strong attachment to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're leaving, it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's very sad. You know, when I was studying there, um, I was studying there because, you know, Mufti Ibrahim Sayyid Sabah had, you know, his, his iftar course was there. But since then, you know, after I left, maybe a couple of, a year or two later, um, he, you know, he, he moved to Durban, and then he has, you know, Adalifta in, in Durban. But when the when the Madrasa Madrasa in Amiya in Camperdown uh, last year, they were having their twenty five year, you know, reunion. It was like twenty five years since the Madrasa started. Yeah, sure. uh, I mean, I I flew and I went to the to the reunion, right? Although. The course of my study was no longer there, and Mufti Ibrahim Saisab, under whom I studied mm-hmm. and under whom I did ifta, has a dar ifta in in Durban separately. I mean, I obviously I went there, I stayed there, um, but I mean, I still went to the to the mothers. Although technically, you know, like like I didn't study anything else there. Like mm-hmm. the the teachers at that madrasa, um, except for Muhammad Abbasumar, so like the other te- other teachers there aren't like my teachers per se. Mm-hmm. Right? But just that attachment to the mother side that that kind of takes you back. Mashallah. Right? So I mean, I went and Mufti Asif Umar, he also went back. Mashallah. Mashallah. That's amazing, yeah. man. Uh, so when you came back to the states, uh, did you jump back right into corporate America? I did. I mean, like, I, I mean, essentially, you know, the way Allah Subhanahu you know, does things. You know, like, one of my concerns was that, like, I'm going when I finish college, that there's going to be this gap between my college. And you know, by the time I can actually start working, and mm-hmm. on, there's going to be this gap in my resume, and it's going to be difficult to find jobs at that time. And this is, you know, 
2007. So this is you know, right before um, like essentially the, the, the economic um, you know, collapse that happened in, that was primarily in 2008. But there's these concerns about you know, ease in finding a job and everything. But I mean, alhamdulillah, it was such that I graduated on July 22nd, which is Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then July 23rd, I had the job offer. Oh, mashallah. Alhamdulillah. And then I worked for, you know, about a year and a half. Um, and then I quit work uh, in, around December because I was going then mm-hmm. to South Africa in January. And then same thing I had in my mind about, you know, I'm going to have this year gap on my resume after working like only like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be hard to like, it may be hard to find something, especially because again, now it was like, this is now, you know, 2009, like the economy is it's not doing well at all. Right. Um, but alhamdulillah, it, it so worked out that before I came back from South Africa, I already had my old job, you know, like I, I had my old job back. They they found out I was coming back, um, and then they reached out and said, you know, like, interested in coming back. I was like, yeah. And then, alhamdulillah, like, I, I came back, and then next week I started back again. Do any of your coworkers know, like, you're just, you're you're a scholar in Dean? I mean, I don't, I don't uh, talk about it, but I mean, I mean, they, like, when I, when I was leaving to South Africa, they all knew why I was leaving. Yeah. And then when you come back, like, you know, people, I mean, like, the word spreads, I don't, like, necessarily talk about it, but, you know, like, mm-hmm. Like you're sitting at your desk and you're working and like some Muslim at work walks up to you and say, you know, like, do you have five minutes? And like, you know, then you yeah. like walk away with them and like, you know, giving photos at work, you know, like, <laughs> um, and plus, you know, you can Google anyone nowadays. So I, I don't, I, I know like there are people who knew um, that, yeah, I was, I was a scholar and that I went to South Africa and I went to study this and, and such. Um, I mean, how much, how much kind of widely that it's known at work? I, I don't, I don't know. I don't really, I don't bring it up. Okay, really. cool. How has your studies, your Adamiya and IFTA program, how has that helped you out in corporate America and vice versa? There, there's benefit in, in, in both. I mean, I would say that although, you know, there's a certain sharpening of, of thought process and skills that happens like when you go through like a, something like the Adam course or IFTA, I mean, I would say that the benefit more is the, the corporate experience in in your ifta and your in your dini services because you know a lot of the the practicals of you know like the four one ks and like the stock options and like the, all the kind of the financial aspects of, um, at work um, plus you know the understanding of the the the, the fitness mm-hmm. that you know our Muslim community faces you know at work. Um, you know, you're exposed to the same that everyone else is exposed to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and as, you know, as as you go up the corporate ladder, um, those just start to, I mean, they expand, they don't go down, right? They only increase. Um, so to, to understand at different levels what sort of challenges Muslims at work face, what's mm-hmm. feasible at what level and after what level is something not feasible, right? Like at a certain level, you know, you, you can say like to... You know, to avoid, um, you know, to avoid like after work event dinners, you know, like you, sh- you shouldn't go. You should avoid that. That's feasible at a level. Mm-hmm. At other levels, like you're traveling internationally to to meet people and you're meeting over dinner. Like you, you can't. Yeah. There, there, there's no aspect of I'm not going to have dinner with you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or just like so understanding 
what are the challenges? What are the feasible options, right? Like it's like giving a theory an ideal that cannot be practically put into place um, is, is, is of little value, right? That's been very beneficial. And, and, I, and I still think that like if, if I wasn't involved in corporate America, like I don't think I would see the full scale of, of challenges mm-hmm. um, that I think I, I understand now just kind of being in it, right? I mean, and, and this is it's a known principle that you know when you're when you're more involved in in a field than you you know the tajriba that you have the experience that you have you become more understanding and you become a you know a more reliable kind of source in that matter because you you're fully engaged in it right this is why you know even within like um you know within fiqh like in in the field of ifta you know we say that in the matters that pertain to like court cases like we give preference to the view of Imam Abu Yusuf over Imam Abu Hanifa because Imam Abu Yusuf was 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 a judge and he was in fact the the, the qadi al-qudat he was the chief justice right mm-hmm. uh, because the knowledge with the, the experience uh, puts you in a, in, a, in a position that you can't be in with just one of the two mm-hmm. right? um so it definitely is it, like it it does provide me a lot of benefit um and at the same time i think in order to then serve back the community um you know some people feel like they they need to to ask me because I'm involved in the field. I mean, although, I mean, although there's a lot of ulama who are very capable of giving advice and very practical, feasible advice. Um, but I mean, it, it, it does help attract, um, you know, a small crowd that perhaps wouldn't necessarily feel as comfortable going elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Right? Nice, mashallah. What's your get up when you go to work? Are you wearing your, your jubba, your thobe? No, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, in, in full honesty, I mean, there, you know, there, there's without kind of denying, you know, the the virtues of you know intending to dress in a specific manner in, in order to emulate the Sunnah, the Prophet and and such. You know, the the balanced nature and moderation of a person is to recognize that while something is can be argued as as virtuous, like it's like we shouldn't make things necessary that aren't necessary, mm-hmm. right? One of the, in fact, you know, when I when I was getting close to coming back from South Africa, I asked Mufti Ibrahim Tsai saw this. I said, you know, when I go back to work, um, you know, it's it, it's hard to, to kind of go in a thob and in a kurta or such. Uh, I mean, there are people doing it, not not denying that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like, it's it's not necessarily easy for everyone. And that, you know, maybe, like, I, I may I may wear, obviously, like, decent clothing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, it may not be, like, kurta or thob or jubba or such. Um, and Mufti Ibrahim Tsai, like, looked at me and said, yeah, so <laughs> like it was he was he looked at me as like you know like like what what what's the issue here? Yeah, you know, like like why like why is this a why is this a matter of concern? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and he said like yeah, as long as you're dressed decent, like it's it's not an issue. Yeah, sure. Um, so I mean I that's those you know who are who go to work and you know kurta and sober jibba like I mean alhamdulillah you know it's good much like you know, <laughs> what, what they're doing good for them, but you know yeah. those those who feel like they they you know. They wear like a shirt, and you know they wear modest clothing and such. Then, mm-hmm. the, you know, it's not, it's not, it, it's not part of our, our tradition to, you know, you know, ilzam right? Like to, to make something necessary that is necessary in of itself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, mashallah. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about? Uh, so, when did you get involved with Darul Hikmah? In my last year of Alam course. Um, so it was Dalek like must start in 2006, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, Frankfurt. Yeah, in Frankfurt. Yeah. Um, 
so then, I mean, I was at the Frankfurt retreat, I remember, but like I wasn't part of the, like the initial meetings to start the organization. Uh, I came in soon thereafter. Mm-hmm. And then from 2007, beginning of 2007, when we started offering the, the weekend academy, and then I started teaching that. So before I finished, like before my graduation, essentially from Alam course, I was already teaching mm-hmm. at Dal Hikmah. And then I taught for, I mean, almost 10 years, except for the year that I was gone. You mentioned in an email that there was going to be one final Dal Hikmah retreat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that just never, like, that was the plan at the time. It just didn't pan out. I mean, in retreats, like, I don't think, well, like people who are, except for the people who are very close to, it, I don't think fully recognize the amount of effort, manpower, and finances that kind of go into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the finances are always to be recouped afterward, really. Mm. Uh, so it's like an upfront investment, and you try to recoup it after that. And one of the, one of the challenges when you when you you know are kind of sunsetting an organization to do like one big blast you know, final event yeah. is either you, you know, you use up all your uh, resources and you kind of blow them away at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, or like, you know, you, like you, like you try to figure out some other meaning method of, cause you can't fundraise after, like you can't fundraise for an organization <laughs> that you're retiring. Yeah. Right. You can't invite people to an organization and say like, we want to raise funds as we are in the process of kind of retiring it. So there's just a kind of a lot of logistical challenges that kind of come with that. Nice, nice, nice. Do you do you ever have like a thought to revive it? No, I mean, you know, the, 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 to, to kind of my point earlier about you have to kind of recognize the purpose of everything and there's a, mm-hmm. there's a time to to move on, right? I mean, Alhamdulillah, like Darul Hikmah, you know, when it started, I mean, it served, you know, excellent uh, purposes of you know like bringing people closer to the deen, like connecting people with, you know, ulama and especially like you know younger ulama, um, and having these these retreats, having people come to the to the masjid, make it artikaf, you know, spend all day, you know, for a couple days, you know, in just the masjid, just listening to to talks and and such. I mean, it it was doing something novel. It was doing something that really wasn't happening elsewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it it was serving a purpose that you can argue that really wasn't being met mm-hmm. otherwise. And I mean, Alhamdulillah, over the years, what it did was, I mean, it was very successful in in those goals. And it helped either, you know, motivated um, or like full-fledged, like facilitated, like, you know, at, at certain terms, like kind of giving our bylaws even mm-hmm. to help other organizations in other parts of the world, uh, not other parts of the world, excuse me, other parts of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, establish, you know, similar organizations. So you had like Darul xyz like startup in in different cities alhamdulillah um and that included like even here in chicago where you know you had not other options uh, other avenues where retreats were happening and like intensives were happening and weekend classes were happening mm-hmm. and so you get to a point where you look at you know what what were the goals and you know have you accomplished them right mm-hmm. and you come to a point you say alhamdulillah like we've accomplished those Asana. goals right and then at that point you say then do we stick around just to stick around? Mm-hmm. Um, or do we completely change our goals to something else, at which point it's a different organization, really? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, like, you know, what's the best method forward? So then you decided that, alhamdulillah, like, you know, we can check we can check off the boxes, you know, of, like, the, the things that we want to accomplish. 
and thank Allah SWT for that. And now there's other organizations kind of doing that work. Mm-hmm. So now those people who are involved in this at the moment, like let us look at what's what's our next challenge that we want to take on. Mm-hmm. Right? Mablal had you know things that that were on that were on his mind and you know on on his plate to take on. You know, like at that time, you know, when I was wanted to launch like the American Fiqh Academy, so I had that on my plate that there was no way I could do that uh, with you know being part of you know another organization that just takes up a lot of your a lot of your time. Um, so it was it was just it was just the right time and the the right decision at that time. Nice, mashallah. Uh, you mentioned American Fiqh Academy. Can you give us a little bit of background about them? Yeah, and I mean, you know, I'll, I'll just mention that the American Fiqh Academy is something that, uh, although I founded, is is not my organization. I, w- I wouldn't put it that way. The, the purpose of the organization is that there are some, con- you know, there are certain contemporary matters that affect so many Muslims, and they're they're contemporary and they're complex, and their nature is such that one individual or even one Dharlifta shouldn't on their own just, you know, debate and decide an issue ruling on it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why, you know, the American Fiqh Academy isn't unique in the sense that there's there's other Fiqh Academies, right? There's there's an Indian Fiqh Academy, for example, and there's Fiqh Academies in different parts of the world. Um, and the, the goal here is that for these high-impact, high-complex matters that you know, a large number of ulama come together mm-hmm. and debate something together and then are able to come to some sort of a resolution, some sort of a conclusion on it. So it was from that purpose, right? And there's multiple purposes. That was one, to address some of these matters in, in a proper manner. The other was that there's a lot of students who finish IFTA, mm-hmm. they graduate from IFTA, and then they come back and, you know, they become imams, they become teachers at Madaris, and each of those, you know, areas that they're serving in are, are you know, are so just kind of absorb all their time, right? Like, they're just, just take so much from them that they don't have an opportunity and an avenue to continue to engage in the, in the field of research and mm-hmm. writing. And what that does is, you know, like, skills that you don't continuously use, then, then become, they don't remain sharp, they become dull, right? Mm-hmm. So it was a matter of, you know, how do we provide a platform for these graduates who are coming back or people who have already graduated and, and are here, how do we provide them a platform to remain engaged in the field of research and writing? Right? In a in a manner that is part-time, um, you know, everyone's doing this voluntarily, right? No one's being paid for it or such. Everyone's kind of taking out their own time. But how do we de- how do you take out just a little bit of time but on a consistent basis, right? The Prophet mentioned that the most beloved actions to Allah are those that are consistent, even if they're small, mm-hmm. right? And it's on that model, you know, everyone, you know, take out some small amount of time, but on a consistent basis, and let's start to unpack some of these complex contemporary issues. And, you know, alhamdulillah, it started off with, you know, with a larger group of uh, members but you know, again, everyone having so much, you know, going on that for time dedication and like actual active research, you know, start off with a smaller group of ulama, mm-hmm. and then alhamdulillah, you know, as there's, you know, in, in the corporate world, we talk about that flywheel, mm-hmm. right? Um, the the kind of the, the two sided marketplace, the flywheel, like some of these standard terms, right? There's, you know, alhamdulillah, you like you provide a platform and you do quality research, and what happens is, you know, there's you know, the, the consumption of that starts to increase, right? It's more and more people who 
who who take that and rely on that. And then as that happens, and there's more and more ulama then who who see the value in it. So mm-hmm. then the more ulama start to become active in it. And as more ulama become active in it and contribute to it, then the quality and the, the credibility increases and you have greater consumption and you just kind of build that mm-hmm. that flywheel. So that's that's what we're trying to accomplish. Right? How do we give a platform to these graduates, you know, to to muftis here in this country? How do we make sure we unpack and properly, you know, analyze and and, and address these complex contemporary masail? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, how do we give people um, an avenue for kind of reliable research? Mm-hmm. Right? Because um, otherwise, I mean, anyone can can put something on 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 the on the net, right? And, you, and we see this, right? A lot yeah. of a lot of really complex issues, and one person puts out their YouTube video analysis on it, uh, <laughs> or like you know their article on it, and and we have to recognize that there is there is this aspect of collective ishtihad, right? Mm-hmm. That like we get together, and although individually none of, none of, none of us are are mushtahids, perhaps you know like none of us are really of a certain caliber, but when you put all of our efforts together, then there's a strength that is created collectively that is not there individually. Subhanallah. And you guys put out, you know, mashallah, like resolutions, not fatawa. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, like, it's kind of standard terminology within, like, a, an academy of that nature to put out a resolution. But, I mean, mm-hmm. more or less, I mean, it is, um, it is, it is a fatwa, mm-hmm. essentially, right? Um, but the, you know, what we try to be mindful of um, is that we are not into like we're not a Dalai Ifta. Like you know, the American Academy is not a Dalai Ifta. It it does not and doesn't have the capacity to handle Q and A, because it's it's all volunteer ulamas, right? So what we do then is we internally select the topics that need to be researched, mm-hmm. and then we research that over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we if we get into the the Q and A, then that itself is so time consuming that it doesn't leave time for for this research. So alhamdulillah, there's there's different Dawal Iftas uh, and they can handle like the, you know, the kind of the day-to-day Q&A. Mm-hmm. But these really kind of big complex matters, then the American Fiqh Academy just kind of focuses on that. So it selects its own topics internally uh, and it doesn't it doesn't answer Q&A for the community in that sense. It, it doesn't have the capacity to do that. Got it, mashallah. Okay, so uh, that's a pretty interesting understanding of American Fiqh Academy, mashallah. It, it, it's something that a lot of people may not know of and they may just see it as like yo where's where do i submit a question <laughs> you know yeah. uh but you do also have a separate darul ifta g so c- can you tell me a l- so like I, I know you always say there's a purpose to something and mm-hmm. why you started it and the foresight of your teacher mufti ibrahim desai sahab that you know you'll need this when you yeah. start your own so you know the darul ifta is you know, is part of the institute of islamic education it's part of the madrasa it runs you know Autonomously, but as part of the the institution, Mo'ala, you know, he he had asked me about starting, um, you know, starting ifta and such, and I had mentioned like, no, 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 like we shouldn't do it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we we shouldn't do it, and so essentially, you know, I I kind of talked him out of of us <laughs> doing it. So the next year, Mo'ala, you know, Mo'ala, like he's smart, Mashallah. So the next year, he didn't ask me; just kind of told me like, we're starting ifta. <laughs> and like, you know, you, you should teach. <laughs> I was like, okay. So um, I, I thought, you know, I may I may teach like part-time, like teach a couple of books or, or such. So then, you know, I, I worked with Mawabidullah to, to kind of help set it up. 
And then eventually, you know, kind of told me that, no, like, you're just, like, you're going to run it, right? <laughs> um, so I, I, I spoke to Mufti Ibrahim the Saisal. I told him, like, I, I, don't, I don't think, like, I should, you know, I, I don't feel like, you know, I'm up, I'm up for, the, for the challenge and, and such. And Mufti Ibrahim the Saisal, like, you know, gave me a lot of Sorry. advice, uh, encouragement. He just kind of said, you know, like, you know, like, his, you know, the thing he always says, you know, like, essentially, you know, that, it's not from you, like Allah SWT, like Allah SWT will make it happen. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, then I mean, Hamda then started um, the Dalifta. It was in um, the first batch was in two thousand and seven. Uh, was when the first batch started. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, two thousand seventeen. Yeah. Um, I, I finished in two thousand seven, so <laughs> t- ten years after that. Um, and I mean, Hamda, like you know, it was it was an honor. For the mother said to kind of ask me to lead it and to to give to have that confidence in me to to lead it, um, and you know an honor for me to to serve the mother um, You know, ten years after graduating from there, like now you're leading a course there. Right? Um, and the dalifta is meant to to prepare, um, you know, in simplest terms to prepare muftis. Right, but really what it is is, you know, in particular about like, preparing not just Ifta graduates, not just people who understand the principles of ifta and such, but p- like producing like quality researchers, mm. right? like uh, people who are who are passionate about research, people who are going to stay involved in that field, uh, people who have a certain mindset, because right? mm-hmm. uh, it's not like not every field is for everyone. Like you have to align resource, you have to align people's skills with the the areas where they're going to excel, right? Um, and if you see that there's misalignment, that people, you know, who have skills elsewhere, but then they're in this course, then you know, it's it's very difficult for 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 you to say that this isn't for you. But mm-hmm. in order to to ensure that you know you don't mislead people into thinking um, that they're going to excel at something that they're you don't think they're really going to excel at, um, and you know to 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 have like proper standards and and such, um, you know, it's it it, it requires. It, it, it requires a lot of effort. It requires a lot of working closely with the students. Um, and I mean, alhamdulillah, like, you know, we had from the first batch of students, there was four graduates. Mufti Hishan was one of them. Um, and then the second batch, we had three graduates. Um, and then now we're currently on the third batch. Um, so there's uh, 10 students. Oh, wow. Mashallah. Yeah, mashallah. Um, so, I mean, alhamdulillah, students are, they, they seem happy. Um, they're doing well so you just keep making dua to Allah SWT for you know um, that Allah SWT allows you know f- like first and foremost like you know you to to have like that proper juristic mindset and then mm-hmm. the Allah SWT produce that in the, in the students and that Allah SWT makes you a means to, to help facilitate that mm-hmm. um, so I mean Alhamdulillah like the, you know, I'm, I'm very happy and proud of the, the graduates we've had mm-hmm. um, sure. and you know, with Allah SWT, then we'll kind of continue to do the work. But I mean, we see like, you know, the these graduates now going into the American Fiqh Academy and, and you know, adding the adding value into research there. Mm. So, I mean, Alhamdulillah, that, that loop, you know, that we tried to create, Alhamdulillah, we, like, we see that working now. MashaAllah, MashaAllah. And this is a two-year program, correct? It's a two-year program. Okay. Correct. And... Uh, what are because I know there's a couple of people who joined in the first year but didn't continue on the second year, yeah. um, and they didn't graduate. Um, what are the difference between year one and year two, in that sense? 
the, you know, in year one, you know, I'm students who, you know, who have certain amount of grounding and have like the shock, like have the interest and the zeal to excel. Like I, you know, I, I take them in and like, you know, you do a lot of the, the kind of foundational works and such in the first year and like everyone starts to answer questions and such. But then, you know, they're, like I mentioned, like those students who really have, like their their mindset aligns with what, you know, what is required from the field and having that kind of depth and that fiqhi mindset, mm-hmm. um, then those students then kind of continue into the second year and start to do more of the the, the detailed research and writing and uh, and such. But the, the first year, you know, um, you can say, I mean, I, I make it such that my my acceptance criteria in the first year is different than my acceptance criteria in the second year. Mm. Um, and from day one, I, I, I make it clear to the students that no one should think that just because you're enrolled and admitted that that, that has that foreshadows in any capacity like what happens later on in second year or graduation or such. Yeah. Um, so the students are, are there, you know, students who are there are clear about that from the beginning. And Alhamdulillah, they, they keep getting regular feedback and such. So, Ashallah. you know, there's no surprises to anyone. But, I mean, Alhamdulillah, like, the, anyone who studies for any period of time um, still establishes a very solid grounding. Mm-hmm. Um, but then those students who kind of continue into the second year and they, and they finish, then, I mean, Alhamdulillah, those are, those are the kind of products that you want to, to be researching some of these complex matters that we're talking about. MashaAllah, that's amazing. May Allah Ta'ala accept uh, and increase the Dal Ifta. Because, I mean, we get to benefit here at Muslim Rahman with Mufti Zishan, MashaAllah. So, Alhamdulillah. You mentioned something uh, on your Twitter that I was reading. You mentioned that uh, your grandfather, your father, and your wife were all orphans. And you were speaking about the importance of adopting children. And you, you yourself, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you were sponsoring uh, somebody in Chechnya for about 10 years as well. Um, and mashallah, you have uh, how many adopted sons? Two. Two, mashallah. Uh, very beautiful, beautiful children, mashallah. Can you tell us a little bit about the importance of adoption uh, within the context, obviously, of Islam? And how, like, how was that whole process or the journey itself to bringing a child over from overseas. Yeah, so there, there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot there. There's kind of the the logistical, uh, you know, process and such, mm-hmm. uh, which you know can can vary like, and, and does vary country to country and such. I mean, anyone who's interested in, you know, I've always been happy to to help. Um, and you know, any anybody who's thinking of going down that line, you know, is, is welcome to reach out to me. Um, I think the 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 first the first part of you know, kind of what you mentioned about like the importance of it right mm-hmm. um, I mean the the fact that the process I mentioned that that you know me and the, the person who takes care of orphans will be like this mm-hmm. I mean if you have Maria of the process and like if you have companionship of the process and I'm like like what else could you possibly want mm-hmm. right like that that's a good sign of your of your dunya and like that that's a promise for you in the hereafter mm-hmm. right so that that alone is, is is sufficient reason for somebody to to want to do this right um and i mean alhamdulillah you know it's something that i had always always wanted um and you know like 
financially like sponsoring orphans in other parts of the world. I mean, it's, it, it has its virtues. Don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, but, you know, you, you always feel like it's, it's different when you send the money mm-hmm. versus like, you know, you actually provide kind of a home. Right? Um, so Alhamdulillah, like my wife was, you know, on board with the idea as well. And then we we went to Morocco just logistically, like it was, it was more of a feasible option than like, for example, Pakistan or such. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're both of Indian background, mm-hmm. right? So there's, we don't have anyone in Pakistan. There's like other challenges that come with like the Indian background and whatnot. Um, but like Morocco just was on a, from a, just a process aspect, just more feasible. So I mean, Alhamdulillah, we went in 2016 um, for the first time. And then we adopted my older one, Aridwan. Um, he was 10 months at the time and kind of what we what we saw and what we experienced like we had we had decided that we're going to go back again Um, so then the following year we went back again in 2017 um, and we we adopted my my younger one Adnan uh, who's almost three months at the time so I mean like how was that experience for you in that sense like how would you present it to the community on the importance of why we should be doing this together? There are certain concerns, I think, you know, from the, when you talk about the virtues, like there's not much to, to, to sell there. I mean, if you, like, you know, if, if you have companionship of the Prophet, like, Sounds you know, similar. you're, you know, like you have Najat in the Akhirah and you have not just Jannah, but you have Jannah with the Prophet, right? The, the the virtues of there there aren't I think that people need to be convinced of I think people have other concerns like legal concerns also you know from a juristic legal concerns perspective about you know like how will the the mahram relationship work and mm-hmm. such um, and there there's laws and solutions for that uh, that I think people just aren't aware of mm-hmm. so part of it is you know maybe like it's just awareness for people about how these work right uh, you know like it's possible for a woman to induce lactation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need to be pregnant to, to in, you know, to, to have lactation. And, you know, when when you induce lactation and you, you know, you give that to the child that is under two years of age Islamically, you know, it forms mahram relationships, right? Mm-hmm. The Prophet mentioned that yuhram and nasab, like from, you know, breastfeeding, the same things become, you know, the same kind of relations are formed as they're formed through lineage, right? Mm. Through, through blood relations. So there's an aspect of just kind of awareness of the fact, right? Of mm. the, the legal side about like people's concern about hijab and, and you know, like kind of th- those sort of legal concerns. Some people also have an concern about, you know, like if I have my own biological children, if I adopt a child, like will there be this thing in my heart about like there's this difference? Will people accept it? You know, will people treat them the same differently and whatnot. And I mean, you know, once you, like once you have a child like with you and in, in your, in, you know, in your house, like there, there is no, like you, you love that child so much. Like there is no, there is no separation, no distinguishment and such, right? Like, like th- those, those concerns like go away. Like mm-hmm. you, you recognize like you're, like your capacity to love is just, just enormous, right? Um, and that, like, th- there is no, there is like, there is no differentiation between like at that point that the biological child versus like the you know the biological relative versus like the adopted relative mm-hmm. and such. Like you, like you, you don't, you don't, you don't have that. Subhanallah, man. Yeah. I mean, what advices would you give to someone who's looking to adopt? 
there is kind of there's the logistical aspect which you know I, I won't go into but mm-hmm. you know there there's just an aspect of you know before you a person adopts that you should just also kind of think through of you know how you're going to to manage that adopted relationship as well right so you know for example the the aspect of the the, the child knowing that they're that they're adopted mm-hmm. uh it's not something that you can hide right um and it's not something that should be hidden uh and nor is like can you hide that but how do you treat that as something that you celebrate right like for example with my kids you know we some we celebrate something that we we call family day like we made it up i don't know if anyone else does the same but like we made it up mm-hmm. uh for ourselves and that's the day then that that you know we took custody of the, of the kids and from like the the beginning like that's a big day of like celebration and mm. like gifts and such and it's like a big momentous you know like event that happens every year and the kids are like super excited about it. they get gifts and there's like bouncy house and you know it's it's just such positive feelings associated with it mm-hmm. um and like we told them like what it is like what the day is right mm-hmm. um but now you know as they grow up um and they can start to understand a bit more you know year after year like understand it like a little bit more a little bit more um so there's no like sudden like sit down we have to break break <laughs> news to you sort of you know moment like they they like it's always clear to them from the very beginning but there's always this positive uh celebration and happiness that's associated with it mm-hmm. right um so like thinking through those sort of things is kind of what i would advise them um and then you know there's kind of the the logistical legal process of going about it and there's you know the aspect of um inducing lactation that's important um and how to go about doing that like those are separate follow-ups mm-hmm. um that somebody should look into but i mean otherwise i would say like don't don't overthink it don't don't um make obstacles for yourself um like it's it's something that like you can possibly regret in this dunya and like you most certainly will not regret that in the akhirah right just go for it mashallah definitely um a follow up to a previous um question that i had that i actually forgot to ask you um being a student of knowledge for so many years and then going to study overseas coming back serving the community through the hikma um and now at darul ifta at iae and with american fiqh academy mashallah it's a very long it took me like 30 seconds 40 seconds to get through all of that um uh what advices would you have for somebody who's studying or looking to go study whether it's you know it could be you know locally abroad or private uh part-time or full-time i mean i would i would couple things i'll just say that one um don't don't go into it if you it, unless you have the the desire to excel right? mm-hmm. like we don't need we don't need mediocre scholars right? like um like we need people who excel like the the, the type of fitness and the challenges that we face as a community is continue to increase mm-hmm. like we need increasing quality of scholarship as well um and not, and just to clarify like i don't mean like there's anything wrong with the quality of scholarship what i mean is that we we can't we can't afford somebody who just kind of gets through right we don't want somebody who graduates right mm-hmm. like we don't want somebody who who finished the course right we want somebody who's capable of handling the type of issues that that we keep facing and seems like they keep increasing from like different different angles right somebody who's equipped to to handle that so if you're going to go into the field like you should go into the field with the with the mindset 
that I'm going to give it my all to excel, mm -hmm. not to finish, not to graduate, not to get a good grade, right? But to excel in all aspects of my field, right? There's like, if you're the imam of the community, people ask you questions about fiqh, they ask you questions about hadith, they ask you questions about tafsir, they ask you questions about like aqidah, right? You can't say, no, no, like, aqidah is not my area, ask me like a hadith question, mm -hmm. right? Like, if you're, if you're serving the community, you have to excel in, like, you have to be good in everything, right? There's a certain amount of foundation you need to have in everything, right? Just mm -hmm. The community just kind of expects that from you. Yes, then you can go deeper in one area, but you need to be strong in all areas. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to go into the field, go with the mindset that you're ready to give it your all, that you're going to excel in it, and that you're going to stay engaged in it, okay? There's no benefit to the community if you are excellent and then you came back and, you know, didn't keep up with your, with your, you know, books and your reading and staying active. And, you know, then you, like, you know, it's, it's like hives, right? Like, if you were bucka when you graduated, right? Like, if you're really good when you graduated and then you don't keep it up mm -hmm. and then you're not strong anymore, right? Then, like, that's not the, the true purpose that, that's, that we're trying to serve, right? We're trying to preserve the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like you need to have strong memorization, right? Mm -hmm. If we're trying to serve the community in various manners of, of knowledge, then you have to be strong in it and you have to maintain that strength. You have to be mm -hmm. active. So you have to understand it's, you know, it's, if you're getting into this, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a lifelong commitment that you're making, right? It's not sure. about the course, okay? It's not about a course. It's not about a profession. It's about like, lifetime and commitment to, to to the field right mm -hmm. and if you're not ready for that then that's okay i mean there's other things you can you can do that are still virtuous so i heard you have a black belt in krav maga <laughs> um no it's um what it is is in, in krav maga there's there's like five levels mm -hmm. um so you know like level one is kind of common things in that you may f face in a street fight, you know, the haymakers and like choke holes and things. And then as you get in up and up the novel, then it's like knife attacks and like gun attacks. And eventually like when you get to level five, then it's very military in terms of like, you know, disarming somebody with a AK-47 machine gun, like yeah. things of that nature, right? So no, I did all five levels okay, um, of Krav Maga. Uh, but the, I didn't get a black belt for two reasons. One is... Um, where I was studying to, to kind of offer that you have to pay and go to St. Louis or like there's some other process. And the other thing is there's like, it gets gimmicky, <laughs> it gets gimmicky at that point. Like, yeah. um, that the purpose was self-defense and I mean, alhamdulillah, like you learn all of it. So the yeah, black belt sure. isn't like, it's, I mean, if, if you, if you want to open up your gym and such, then like those are credentials if mm -hmm. you want. But it's not what I was interested in. Did you ever get into like Muay Thai or Jiu Jitsu? Um, I do. I did do some boxing, like minimal amount of like boxing and kickboxing, and um, and some Jiu Jitsu, mm -hmm. Jiu Jitsu, and then um, some Muay Thai That's as cool. well. But you know, these were like I I tried I tried them out for like a little bit, you know, for, for some time. But then Krav Maga is the one that I eventually landed on, the one that I enjoyed and kind of really vouch for. Mm -hmm. um, and I did that for several years. Okay, mashallah. Um, and, and kind of finished the course, if you will, in that. Mm -hmm. Was there anything else that you're kind of looking into? or? I think the only thing that I'd be interested at this point after doing Krav Maga would be like 
parkour, but I feel like now you're just too old for that. Like now, now you can't take those falls anymore. <laughs> but like no, otherwise, I mean, I think Krav Maga is really good. It's it's very practical. How long did it take you for all five levels? Uh, you can say like each level is about a year. Is kind of how you oh, more wow. or less look at it. Okay. Right? Um, so I mean, I did it for a few years. Nice, mashallah. You yeah. thoroughly enjoyed it. Went through it. Yeah, I mean, I like I of all of all the ones I did. Um, and like I had, you know, like a joking kind of back and forth with like Mufti Hussain Kamani mm-hmm. on it as well. But like, no, like it's Krav Maga over, you know, Jiu Jitsu. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, he's a purple belt, right? Yeah, I think yeah. he, I, I don't know what belt he is, but I know like he, he did, he did like competitions and such too, I think. Yeah, yeah. Mashallah. Yeah, so this was a question we always had when we were younger, right? We would always see you and I remember Hayat would always bring the Umar Hayat. He'd always bring this up. He's just like, man, Mufti Abroad just got like this perfect 90 degree angle, like with his beard. Like, he's like, how does he do it? Who's his barber? Uh, just out of curiosity, like what's, uh, what you know, straight razor, safety razor, no. trimmer combo? It's an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I I actually like thought about like getting a straight razor, but I've never got into it. Um, no, I mean, I, I use like the, the same Gillette Atra Plus or something from like <laughs> when I was like 15. <laughs> uh, they just the same. Technically, I think it's, it's even been discontinued, I think, but you can still find like the the, the razor blades on Amazon. Oh, okay. But no, like I just, nothing fancy, just kind of the same old. Just simple. No, yeah, no, like no drawing lines. And like I, know, like I actually heard of someone who, who did that, like drew lines before shaving and such. <laughs> uh, no, not into that. Like mm. just... Can you walk us through, I mean, mashallah, you've been, uh, you have Dar al-Ifta, you have the American Fake Academy, you have a full-time job, you have family. Uh, can you just walk us through a, like a, a typical day in your life for 24 hours? Sure. So, I mean, you, you wake up early morning, you know, ideal is that you wake up for the Hajjah, then you do your dhikr and such at that point, Fajr, and then after that, then um, you, you kind of get ready for, you know, work and other things and usually now like currently you know, before like us commuting to work now everyone's kind of working from home mm-hmm. um but now so you know like the night in the morning after the kind of the, the morning mamulat if you will um then have class with the, the students more like it's like office hours more like you know, with the students uh the students online if they have any questions if i have any questions for them and such um and then after that, you know, work, work ends, um, you know, around let's say five or so. Then with the left the students again mm-hmm. uh, until like six after six, and then until nine usually. Um, then just kind of with the family, and then after nine, then usually at nine o'clock I have class or a session or something, something again, and then kind of depends like until. One one thirty, whatever. Then you know, kind of doing work, and then go to sleep, and then you start the same thing again. It's kind of usually the weekdays, uh, pretty typical weekday, um, and then Saturdays, um, from morning until afternoon, like Uzohar time or so, I reserve for like American Fiqh Academy research, mm-hmm. and then I work on that, and then the rest of Saturday then is like family time I I try not to do anything at that point Um, and then Sunday until like 
three or so usually uh, then with the yeah, at the dalifta mm-hmm. and then come back home and then I try to then dedicate that rest of the time to with family. Nice, mashallah. So, and so you're st- are you still sleeping about like four hours? No, I think alhamdulillah, like I, you know, I could have that agreement with my body that like you just put up with it, like it'll get better, <laughs> you know. So alhamdulillah, like I, I try to do five now. Okay, nice, mashallah. Yeah, alhamdulillah. <laughs> Not much of a change, but. <laughs> mm, if you get, I mean, if I get five hours, then you know I'm. You're good I'm, to go. I'm good to go. Mashallah. Um, it's fine. If, like five and a half hours is like really good. If I get anything more than that, then it's like, mm-hmm. I have like oh, like just wasted time, sort of a feeling. Yeah. Um. But no, five hours is good. Mashallah. Yeah. One random question that comes to mind that I usually ask all my guests. Uh, Mashallah, you've been leading Hajj groups for a while. Um, I went to Umrah with you a few years back, about two years ago. Um, how was your first Hajj, and when was that? First Hajj was like I think it was as as a, as a kid. Okay. Uh, so I just have kind of snapshot memories of it. Mm-hmm. Um, my first Fard Hajj was after finishing Alam course. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very interesting Hajj because um, like what my my uncle lives lives there, and essentially the way it worked out was to say, okay, no, just like just come here. Like it was not it wasn't on a Hajj visa. It was like just come here, and then we'll, we'll get like a local. Like we'll get permission locally for you to go instead of applying for Hajj visa from there, because mm-hmm. um, I was like, I'm not doing Hajj legally. Like I'm not, you know, <laughs> not like sleeping in the mountains, sort of a Hajj. Like that's, I'm not planning on that. Uh, but said, no, no, it's not illegal. Like just come here. Like we'll just get from like locally, we'll just get the permission. Mm-hmm. All right. So when there, um, the so it was a local Saudi Hajj group, and. Um, the I think that person banked on us not getting permission, but then like we alhamdulillah we got permission. So then when we showed up in Mina, he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so then we went to the tent, like the guy at the tent's like, your name's not on the form, like your na- your name's not on the list. You can't get into the tent because mm-hmm. you know it's only the people who, essentially that you know your your guy has paid for, yeah, right. And like when you expect someone's not gonna make it then you don't pay for them mm-hmm. um so then he's like oh okay like let me it's like you guys you, and just like in mina like you're in the sun right it's it's super hot and you're tired uh because you got dropped off far and you have to like walk all the way to mina and such because mm-hmm. um, now this is like you know you're doing a local style so you don't have like all the american luxuries mm-hmm. right? um so then he's like he's like okay you know just sit in the sit in the bus there's a bus there he's like sit in the bus um, and they call somebody's like, you know, have them like sit in the bus. Um, and then I'll, I'll take care of it. I said, okay. So we thought, okay, let's we'll go sit in the bus. Like it'll be comfortable seating. Like maybe they'll turn, you know, like, the AC will be on and such. Mm-hmm. No, like <laughs> what, 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 what they meant was in the luggage compartment yeah. of the bus, like you can sit in there. So you're not in the sun. So oh. then like I'm sitting now in the luggage compartment of a bus waiting to like get into, into my minute tent. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then eventually they got us in, and it was, it was like a massive, unseparated tent, mm-hmm. um, and like just, just these thin mattresses, one next to another, next to another. Like there's no aspect of like moving it anywhere because mm. there's nothing below it, and there's nowhere to move it to. Uh, so none of the the foldable, you know, like chair slash sofas and such that you have like in the American tents. Yeah, it wasn't any of that. So it was. You know, it was, it was more of a 
Hamza was it was more mujahada than like you would kind of an American Hajj. Uh, like we did Qiran as well, so we did Umrah and Hajj together. So Mashallah. when we went to when we did Umrah, um, and then like didn't have any hotel room or such, mm-hmm. so then we spent the night in the Haram, and then next day then went to to Mina. So it was it was very it was t- you know it was more challenging than Hamza. Like you know when I went to Hajj thereafter, then with you know, after I got married, then my wife and I, we went, um, you know, with Zulqarnayn. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we went with him for Hajj um, as guests, not as, I didn't, I, I didn't want to go as scholars. I just wanted to go as just, you know, like, um, just like any other person, right? Just, mm-hmm. So, Alhamdulillah, when we went, then I noticed, like, the difference in the in the luxuries. <laughs> um, but, I mean, Alhamdulillah, like, you know, each each Hajj has its own, has its own experience, Alhamdulillah. MashaAllah, mashaAllah, that's mm-hmm. amazing. Jazakallah uh, khairan Mufti Saab for coming on, sharing your experience, answering all my ridiculous questions. Uh, I really appreciate it. May Allah Ta'ala reward you, uh, bless you, and allow you to uh, expand and put barakah and afiyah in all of your endeavors. Um, just one last final question. Is there any other uh, future goals uh, that you're looking at or future plans that you're currently pursuing? No, I mean, uh, I think Alhamdulillah, you know, the the projects that are ongoing, you know, the the American Fiqh Academy, the the Dalifta, I mean, these are these are long term projects and commitments. Um, you know, there's 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 some other kind of things that perhaps I guess that are not that are not announced yet, mm-hmm. um, that are not like led by me, but that I'm I'm part of. Um, and the goal is, you know, to help out whatever projects we can, right? Like whatever. You know, effort of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala that we can associate our new name with that. We hope that you know we can, we can try to take advantage of on, on the day of judgment and put into our skills. Like, you know, that's always there. But you know, proper full time dedication. I mean, I think at, at this point, I mean, alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm happy with, and quite full, like hands full with, uh, the Dalifta, the American Fiqh Academy, um, just work, family. Um, you know, as, you know, as kids grow older, like you know, just through require more time and mm-hmm. and such and you know at, at some point like you know just like you always live with this guilt of like i wish i could be like you know like giving my family more time like i should be giving more family more time um that the, the guilt just gets to you that like it gets hard to like com- keep committing and committing to, to mm-hmm. things right you rather do fewer things like properly mm-hmm. um than just kind of putting your hands in everything and Know, not not creating true value in those. So mm-hmm. I'd rather keep kind of the things that I have and just do them properly than um, start up any any sort of new projects. So no 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 new large projects that I have in mind at the moment. Just continue to work on what we like what I'm already involved in. Mashallah. And how can someone get in touch with you? Uh, I mean, they're, they're welcome to reach out to you and get your uh, get my email address from you. Okay, inshallah. Um, I'm happy to do. Like, okay, um, inshallah. I've I've never. I've never uh, restricted my email mm-hmm. access from anyone. Just okay, inshallah. And if anyone wants to join the Dara Ifta program, definitely check it out in the Chicagoland area. Uh, mashallah again, Jazakumullah Khairan for uh, Mufti Abrar Mirza for joining us. Uh, one of my teachers since I was a very young kid. He may not remember me at all, but I remember him in Frankfurt at the Farzal Hikmah. <laughs> so mashallah, uh, Jazakumullah Khairan again. Uh, we really appreciate it, and uh, please keep us in your du'as. I mean, and Jazakallah for for having me. This is mm-hmm. it's it's very awkward for me to, to like I don't speak much like mm-hmm. in general. Just, I just don't talk a lot. 
Um, and even like bayans and such, like I always find a way to get out of it <laughs> um, for the most part. Um, so it's, 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 you know, it's, it's very unlike me to, to just come and speak and especially speak about myself. I, I, I don't, you know, it's weird for me to talk about myself. Uh, one of the, the complaints like my family always has is like, like we always find these things out from like other people. Like, why don't you ever tell us? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like now, like they're going to, at some point when this is released, are going to tell me like, we heard from so-and-so. Like, <laughs> apparently there was a podcast and on the podcast you told, you said this and how come you never told us that? How come you never told, never told us there was a podcast? <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm, I'm ha- the only reason I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy to kind of sit and, and, and speak openly and share is, you know, if, if it does in any way help, you know, any, anyone who's studying and, you know, we can get some sort of um, a thawab, you know, reward or, you know, be included in their duas and facilitate anyone's studies and such, then you, we hope in, you know, in Allah's with mercy to to have their duas, to have those duas accepted, to be part of like the sadaqah jari of like the work that they do. Um, you know, I, I make dua for the, you know, I, I told you about like Hafshaf Qadri, like who Ashallah. kind of spoke and, you know, he didn't tell me to go into alam course. He just told me to, like, here's an Ar- some Arabic program you should look into, mm-hmm. right? But because that set off a certain chain of events, and it was, you know, it was motivating to to kind of hear from someone, um, that you know, I, I I do I do regularly make dua for him. Um, so, you know, if if we can help someone in their studies in any manner, um, then Alhamdulillah, like happy to happy to do that. The, the rewards, inshallah, will you know, like look forward to them and. We ask you know whoever is listening to this and anyone who finds any benefit in it um, to to make to make dua for me to make dua for my family it makes a lot of sacrifices for me to be able to do whatever I'm doing for me to have done whatever I have done, mm-hmm. um, you know, and my my teachers and and everyone you know. Mashallah, Well put, well said, man. Jazakallah khairan again. We really appreciate to have you on. Look forward to inshallah in the future. Uh, have you on on a very uh, I'll bug you about it later but on Islamic finance inshallah <laughs> to have a discussion about that okay inshallah, inshallah. <laughs> alright <laughs> <laughs>